Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. So I never thought it would come to this, Tristan, No, but I do have to make an apology to the internet in general, and I just wanted to run it by you because we're not recording right now, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Um, And so I just wanted to run it by you really quickly. Mm -hmm. So the issue is, and you can probably tell what the issue is. You have a bit more of a uh, body to your voice. Yeah. You're a bit more yeah. you're a bit more jazz musician now. And normally I would take that as a compliment, but I do have to apologize. I am sick. I am under the weather. And so I thought, you know, I should take this opportunity to just apologize to everyone who has to hear my gross voice and all the gross things and our editor who will have to edit out a lot of gross things. Except that we're not recording. Yeah, we're not recording. But if we were, then I would have to apologize. Okay. So if we do this, it would be the first podcast apology. Now, I've seen YouTube apologies, and yeah. I've seen um, Notes uh-huh. app screenshot apologies. Um, both yes. of those, great engagement, solid content. And I tried doing the Notes app thing for the podcast. It didn't translate very well. It's just like the screenshot sound the iPhone makes. Yeah. <laughs> just that i mean you mentioned youtube apologies i could start there and just do like a nice little like sigh Mm -hmm. you know i feel like you start with a sigh you just go i'm sorry my actions i didn't think you know and i should have looked out better uh to not get sick reviewing our process and that's on me and and i'm gonna learn and i'm gonna do better in the future and if i can make a recommendation just to everyone out there don't get sick it's hard. I don't like it and I wouldn't recommend it. And, you know, my actions when I was sick where I was like all sniffly and my voice sounded bad. I can't. I mean, what can I say to even apologize for that? What can I do? What can I do to reach out to the community of people that I've hurt with my bad voice and the way that I sound? This apology brought to you by HelloFresh. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's going to be ads all throughout. YouTube's going to like get you in trouble because you put too many mid-rolls in. And it's like, you can't put that many mid-rolls <laughs> in. We're sorry. YouTube's like, and we're making a cut off of these mid-rolls? And we're even that we're telling you like, hey, slow it down with these mid-rolls. <laughs> like, this is a bad look, my guy. <laughs> but yeah, I just figured I would run that by you because I don't think we'll be able to record the podcast today uh, just because I okay, am very sick. Okay, that so. makes sense. But just to make you feel a little bit more cozy, I know that like routine and comfort are really useful in these times. Yeah. So like an audio version of like a warm chicken soup. What if we just pretended like we were recording an entire episode 
but then just not release it. Okay. Yeah. Just sort of like ran through it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good idea. Just sort of like run it through. Uh, and it would give you a good practice, too, for when we actually do record the show. And especially because I think this one will be good to not do off book, because this is the one where I say at the start of the show that there are real UFOs and that the government is studying them publicly. Ah, OK. All right. So that's interesting. And if it, if I wasn't sick, then I would be sitting here going, what? What? That's we got to talk about it, but I'll save that for when we actually record. So let's see. How do we because we typically open these pretty strong and pretty straightforward. No dilly dallying. Mm, quick. Yeah. That's what we're known for. So we would just jump into it like something like, uh, hey, everyone, this is a podcast called It's Probably Not Aliens, where we look into ancient astronaut theory. I say ancient that astronaut. Ancient, yeah. Yes. Ancient astronaut. Going theory. on 14. We look into it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Help! We look into ancient astronaut theory and ancient aliens, and we uh, debunk some of the pseudoscience and pseudo-archaeology while teaching you about the real-world history behind uh, cool people and places and things. And my name is Scott. I know nothing. I'm on like four different cold medicines right now. <laughs> so either I am completely zonked out of it, or I'm on a new plane of existence that knows more than the human mind was capable of. You're on the other knowledge. plane of existence with uh, David Icke's reptile people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name's Tristan. I do research on things. And, and this one, I know that we typically do history and historical stuff. This one is about the last couple years because this is one of the stories that inspired me to be like, oh, this is a podcast we should be talking about right now. I think at the beginning of the show, like in the preamble to the first episode, I talked a little bit about how there were two news stories that really think, oh, we should probably talk about this in a in a good context. And one was Oumuamua, yeah. which I think that the early stuff on that, now that it's been like a year and change, has shown that I was uh, far too optimistic about the implications of that. Oh, no. It was a space rock, Aww. a big space rock, and not the solar sail that that one guy was thinking it was. But this one is about the U.S. government is actually officially investigating UFO sightings. Ha 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 We're doing it, baby. Yeah. Just the United States, not Canada, though. Actually, I think the UK is doing something similar, but okay. I am only looking into the American example because that's the one that went public recently. Sure. They have done, uh, UFOs have gone through a rebranding. Sure. Uh, they're no longer unidentified flying objects. They are unidentified aerial phenomenon. Oh, UAP. Yeah. UAPs. Not UFOs. Oops. Yeah. Okay. And so this is going to be a strange story where very odd things like bipartisan consensus happens where Marco Rubio becomes oh, a no. good person in the story. Oh, wait, what? And we have some interesting questions about the U.S.'s military situation right now and everything. So there's a whole bunch huh. of weird places where this is going to go. Is this where the Space Force comes in? Are we going to shoot down aliens with our Space Force? This feels like a thing that Space Force would be involved in, but weirdly enough, it is not. Oh, space is big. They got one part of it and then we got research on another part of it. Yeah, the Air Force does one part of space and then Space Force does another part of space. Yeah. When you think about it, every branch of the military is a space force because Earth's in space. It's true. 
So I've learned that 100% of all matter is in the universe, which is in space. Wow. We're learning so much already. Yeah. And we have so much more to go. Yeah. So yeah. what's going on here? What's happening? Okay. So this, this is the main story. Basically, since about 2017, the United States publicly in just the last few years has announced that they are investigating uh, through a task force unidentified aerial phenomenon okay. and that they delivered recently a report to Congress. I believe this was in 2020. They delivered a report to Congress about their investigation into UAPs that they've been doing for three years. And it had been uh, classified at that point. All right. Okay. Did they find anything? They did. Oh, I was not <laughs> expecting you to say yes. This is like going to be the most wacky, like Tristan's role in this now, by the way, with my friends now, because people love the podcast way more than they love Step Back. Uh -huh. So uh, uh -huh. this is a podcast that actually my friends listen to. And so like now I am no longer the history guy. I'm the alien guy. Oh, nice, nice, nice. But yeah, this is going to be one where my position in the cosmos gets shifted a little bit because we're going to talk about some stuff. A lot of it is completely unknown mm. and has more questions than answers. And oh, boy, I'll try to like, you know, have some calming thoughts, but. There's some funkiness going on and some we don't know what funky. it is. All right. Uh, All which right. is a kind of really fun place to be. So basically what happened was that this report showed the really big thing, which is that they no longer call them UFOs. They call them UAPs. That's a huge one. Huge rebrand for this. Yeah. And it, but it's important for very specific reasons. And we'll get into this, that it is a huge attempt to change the culture surrounding reporting these oh. and that it's a sign that now the government is ready to take them seriously because ufo feels very like a quack like being like you know oh the, you know ufos are uh, flying saucers and like you know it feels like a thing that people inherently don't take seriously anymore yeah. whereas like uap is like oh what's that that's new that's fresh that's exciting yeah like there was a whole culture about like if you see a bogey or something like that you don't report it because uh you would say that you're reporting a ufo and then people would mock you and uh oh. it could like it could be damaging to your career and like you know in the military <sighs> like that could be like a huge sure thing and then uh, when it went public the person who announced that it was public was none other than florida senator marco rubio okay who we all just sort of have half memories of because he's a Florida senator who, yes. one, um, really into gangster rap music, which is really oh. out of character for him. But um, two, he was like a Pete Buttigieg of the Republican Party, where he was just he like some yeah. creature that was manufactured in a politician making machine. That was just like the most <laughs> generic politician you can imagine. Um, if you remember, Marco yeah. Rubio was one of the people who tried to run for president in 2016 until he got bodied by Donald Trump. Yeah, I'll be honest. The only thing I remember about him is that one speech where Donald Trump mocked how like sweaty he was by like spilling a water bottle and being like, <laughs> look at me, I'm Rubio. And I was like, that's like the one sort of like Trump stand up routine. That's like, that's that wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> 
he has his moments. Uh, if it wasn't for the fact that he's like blatantly evil, um, there's yeah, some no, legitimately funny stuff uh, that, that no he does No endorsement sometimes. on this podcast. We all remember the the golf statement. Um, but, <laughs> it's true. But yeah, so, so Marco Rubio, when he announced it, said, for years, the men and women who defend this country reported encounters with unidentified aircraft that had superior capabilities. And for years, their concerns were often ignored or ridiculed. This report is an important first step in cataloging these incidents, but it is just a first step before we can actually understand what these aerial threats present, or whether these aerial threats present a serious national security concern. So that's all Marco Rubio praised for one day, uh, or should I say, it's not even praise, it's just neutral, that he is the one who said mm. the thing. But Marco Rubio, apparently one of the big people pushing in this. Another one, Harry Reid, uh, the Harry former Reed. Senate... Minority leader slash majority leader, the the, the head okay. Democrat in the Senate. Um, gotcha. Okay. Was a big UFO person. Also, John McCain. John McCain. What's he doing these days? Hanging out with Chad Bozeman, I think. I don't think he's hanging out with Chadwick Bozeman. I don't think those two are hanging out together. I think they, yeah, they probably didn't get into the same afterlife, I guess. Mm-mm. But yeah, so like this report went through. It's been declassified. And when this happened in 2020, because I don't know how close you were following weird cranks on the Internet, but the entire universe of the UFO people exploded when this UAP report uh, and even when the report was declassified, like even the announcement that they were declassifying uh, UFO documents was a huge thing. I do remember this and it it felt like one of those things. I think we talked about it before. It felt like one of those things where if any if it was the only thing that was happening, it would have been the only thing people talked about. But the problem is a million things were happening to the point where it felt like it got buried. It was like it got declassified during during the pandemic and also at the peak of the Black Lives Matter. Like, yeah, there's a lot of Black Lives Matter activity going on in the summer of 2020. So, yeah. And we were all still trying to figure out what happened on Tiger King. And it was just like a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on. And no one was like, we have too much on this planet to think about the aliens. Mm hmm. There is one part that I will mention that makes things a little more complicated and leaves some room for the theorists. So this report that came out in 2020 does have some sections of it that are still classified and are only shown to Congress. And we don't know what's in those, but I will say this because that typically means people think, oh, that's where all the alien stuff is. I will mention this because this comes up when I talk about the JFK assassination too, is that oftentimes the U.S. is sometimes overzealous when it comes to classifying things. Ah. And two, uh, another point on that is also that typically when you're dealing with national security stuff and there's a lot of classified stuff that doesn't seem like it should be classified, it usually has to do with the fact that they gathered information from active assets in places that they don't want to admit that they have assets. Ah, like my main suspicion for a lot of why the documents that have to do with JFK's assassination are classified and like even to this day are still classified have to do with the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald spent a bunch of time in Cuba. And in order to get information about what he did in Cuba, they had to tap a bunch of their spies that were in Cuba. And if they had (sighs) admitted who those spies in Cuba are, the Cubans would be able to draw a line to current American spies that are in Cuba. (laughs) And so you can imagine that that kind of stuff is more the reason why they classify things. Yeah, that makes sense. But in the end, they did release the document. I actually read the document for this. It's only about 19 pages. So if you ever want to read a quick PDF on it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it doesn't sound like much then. 19 pages? But it's the result of a three-year study that comes to the conclusion that from what's called the uh, Defense Department's UAP task force. 
Okay. And they were studying specifically a rash of strange flying objects that do seem to have aerodynamic abilities that are bizarre, that are not explainable, but besides that, have been spotted by radar, by infrared sensors, and okay. by eyewitness testimony from pilots. So a, all of those things together, not an or, it's an Yeah, and. these things have, these things, like uh, the best events, the ones that they really take seriously, the ones that showed up on all three. All three, okay. And keep in mind, like uh, fighter pilots are pretty well trained to spot these kinds of things, so this is not just like yeah. some average person. Hey, it looks like a UFO. Like if a fighter pilot is saying there's something in the sky that's not acting right and I don't know what it is and it's shaped weird. That's yeah. a little bit more credible than like. Right, a, right. They eat their carrots. They've got good eyesight. Yeah, it's their job, right? Mm hmm. I know that's a myth. Everybody. Everyone's going to be like, that's a that was a misinformation campaign with the carrots. Like, I know. I know. Carrots don't help your eyesight. Or are you in the broccoli lobby? And you're trying to take down Big Carrot. Look, Broccoli's had it bad for too long. This Kristen. podcast is brought to you by Broccoli. Broccoli. <laughs> Put some cheese on it. I don't know. <laughs> Watch that episode of Powerpuff Girls where they ate all the broccoli aliens. This is how you know when we're going to like when podcasting has reached like uh, a new level of like mainstream authenticity, which is when we yeah. start getting like ad council type stuff like milk. Drink it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Drink the drink the milk. Drink the milk. Drink the milk. Nothing warms up my podcast voice more than drinking a nice warm glass of milk. Oh, man. This kind of reminds me that um, I I can't verify, but I think I might have been approached to do a sponsorship by somebody from Philip Morris. And I just responded with no. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime someone reaches out and is like, we've got this great NFT project. I just I just respond with like, lol, no. Okay, like, yeah, NFTs are one level of no. Philip Morris, I'm like, I'm no, I'm not selling cigarettes. No, <laughs> no we're not going to do it. You know, no no ethical consumption under capitalism, but um, mm-hmm. don't work for cigarette companies. <laughs> I don't think it's a pretty it. good one to go with. No, thank you. Uh, um, oh, sorry, we got we got a little lost. So um, That's okay, we're just practicing, remember. That's true. But yes, uh, so studies into these phenomena... Um, have also <laughs> I was going to say that too. Uh, the task force has not been able to attribute these sightings to anything that is American. Okay. Like this is the probably other parts that are classified is that they like probably had a check with like DARPA um, and like oh. they had a check with like, you know, the super secret parts of the defense department and be like, hey, <laughs> this you? <laughs> yeah, this, <was laughs> this we won't tell anyone, but like, was this you though? They just like texting the CIA with a picture of it. This you? <laughs> you up? <laughs> you up in the sky? This you, uh, what's it called? UFO emoji? You AP? <laughs> there you go. Is that anything? I don't know. We'll go for it. We'll take it. So these are also sightings that were confirmed to not be other things that the U.S. is doing. Okay. All right. So it's not us. Yeah. Then who is it? So the report does say that it's not anything that the U.S. did, but also that they were unable to confirm that any American classified system is responsible for the UAPs. So then they started looking into other things like conventional weird things like maybe it was natural phenomenon. Okay. Misidentified aircraft or malfunctioning radar. All right. But with the exception of one report, uh, which they did find the answer was a deflated balloon, the other ones lack enough information in the data set to make any sort of conclusion 
to this way. All right. A mystery. We've mm-hmm. got a mystery on our hands. Yeah. So they did check these. And as I mentioned, that military pilots uh, do train on what they call reese or reconnaissance. Like they're trained to do stuff like recognize airplanes from their shape. They're able to recognize things from their paint schemes, their insignia, oh, sure. that kind of stuff. Like they are trained to know every Chinese fighter plane by silhouette, by paint marking, by like all those things. So like they have a pretty good knowledge of like yeah. everything that the major militaries are flying in the sky. So mm-hmm. and they're saying, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. Not to mention that they talk about in the 18 incidents, they found unusual patterns of flight that seemed to defy what machines could do. Oh. And just a couple months before this episode uh, that we are not recording right now. Also, NASA has announced that it is starting its own UAP task force, which is how many of these do we need? Well, this one, the first one was sort of like, as we'll get into, this is like uh, a national security concern. Okay, NASA is more like, okay, what is this then? That one's just been announced and it has a budget that is like six digits of dollars, which is sounds like a lot. But um, as far as like NASA Mm. goes, it's not that much money. So uh, it's not a huge project. But, you know, I think they like set aside like like seven hundred thousand dollars and it's like. Should NASA like wipes their butt with seven hundred thousand dollars? No, that's not going to do much. Mm-hmm. How, what are we going to do? We got to figure out what these things are. Yeah, and this isn't the first time this happened. People have been reporting mysterious flying objects for decades. Uh, so uh, the Navy has a task force that collected about one hundred and forty-four sightings from government personnel just between the years of two thousand four and two thousand twenty-one. Oh wow! Also, in the past, between the years of nineteen fifty-two and nineteen sixty-nine, the government ran. Uh, Uh, Project Blue Book, which was a government investigation into UFOs where they collected thousands of reports and try to figure out what was going on. But they were only interested in a very minor scope. And basically, they had to evaluate whether or not it was a threat to national security. And they concluded that it wasn't. Okay, so like even if they found things. They, they didn't really investigate it further unless it felt like it was a threat. Yeah. So like they could just they could they could find aliens. But if the aliens were just stopping by to say hi, they'd be like, well, they seem fine. Precisely. But on top of that, like in doing that, those investigations, they solved the they answered a whole lot of them in the process. Oh, OK. What makes this UAP thing interesting in this 2004 plus reports very confusing. OK. Is that. Unlike a lot of the reports in the past, these ones do seem to show up a lot near American military installations, uh, which is something that people are very interested in. Yeah. The aliens are like, what are these folks? These seem like the people with the planes and and such. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps it's not aliens and perhaps it's other people who just want to know what's happening. We want to know what we're doing. Yeah. So what I'll get into is that the main cases that we've talked about or that they talk about in the report, the best UAP case studies happened in 2004, 2014 and 2015. All of these had pilot sightings, radar tracking and video and are unsolved as to what they are, mm-hmm. which is good because like they have the multiple different things to track them, which means it wasn't like, you know, somebody just seeing things or it wasn't right, a yeah. malfunction of a device because a lot of these things are like an optical illusion or a machine not working correctly or something like that. Yeah, you need multiple ways of confirming that it existed. Mm-hmm. The big one that really got the ball rolling on what would become the UAP task force was something called the ghost incident, oh. which happened on November 14th, 2004. Okay. 
I see you've attached a video here. Yes, it's just for your own interest. It's a long video, but it's basically the full video of the UAP. Maybe you can post the link to it on Twitter when the episode comes out. Yeah, all right. Whoa. Okay, sorry. I'm watching it now. I mean, the the clip is 35 seconds, right? So it looks like I'm in a plane, and then the plane is looking out over the ocean, and there is some very... I mean, I don't know what's the thing I'm looking at, but it looks like there's a thing flying very fast. So fast that the tracking uh, computer is not able to uh, keep hold of it yeah. for very long either. No, it's it's got it for a little bit, but then, it yeah, it just it keeps it's going so, so, so fast that it keeps losing it. It's trying to keep track of it. Yeah. And it's following it for a bit. Then the video and, ends. And, uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's it's just it's hard to make out exactly. I mean, from my end, it looks it's a black and white video. It looks like it's just a white dot, but it's a white dot that's traveling so fast. Mm -hmm. This video was recorded by she's retired now. She retired at the rank of Lieutenant Commander Alex Diedrich. But at the time, she was Lieutenant Junior Grade. So if it's anything like Starfleet ranks, which is the only ranks I know, she's been promoted twice. (laughs) But she was in the cockpit of an F-A-18 Super Hornet that can go about 150 miles an hour. Oh, wow. Or it was going at 150 miles an hour. It was uh, attached to the aircraft carrier, the USS Nimitz. It had some extreme G-forces, you know, as she was uh, flying off the coast of California Mm -hmm. near Catalina Island. And when she left the dock of the Nimitz, noticed an oblong object hovering over the water that seemed to leap into motion, uh, skimming from 500 to 1,000 feet over the waves, going at a speed at about 500 knots, which is about 575 miles an hour. Ooh, that's fast. Yeah. So much so that the radar could not even detect the object and that she had to check it using the weapon systems operator, which is sort of the targeting computer. Yeah. Or sorry, the weapon systems operator is a person (laughs) in the plane who does that. Oh. Who sits in the rear seat. And in the video, if you have the sound on, you can hear that person being like, holy crap. Oh, that's funny. No, I had the sound off the whole time. That's fun. I'll post the video on Twitter at Probs Not Aliens. Yeah. So they, yeah, they were having trouble because like it was moving extremely erratic and so super fast. So they were trying to figure out what it was because they trained their eyes to sort of categorize things as we mentioned. But this was a vehicle that was nothing like anything they had recognized. And another Super Hornet behind Diedrich, one that was piloted by Commander David Fravor and Lieutenant Commander Jim Slate, they were warned that something was out there. They managed to capture the video that we are looking at, which was done on an infrared camera. Oh, wow. So multiple people have saw this and it's on camera. Yeah. According to the study, it was a 40 foot long object that was round and smooth and it quickly received the nickname Tic Tac. (laughs) It does kind of look like a little Tic Tac. huh? Mm -hmm. So they didn't know what this is after the incident. Also, Gary Voorhees, who was a petty officer third class on the USS Princeton four days before the incident, also reported seeing Mm -hmm. something on their radar. Oh, okay. So before uh, different events. But uh, Mm -hmm. similar reports. Same place, same time. And this was all reported by the technician who is uh, a very highly trained individual who is uh, in charge of the Princeton's combat systems and came Uh to the conclusion that what they saw was impossible. Mm. And yet here it is on video. In that report, the object had dropped from 60,000 feet, then hovered and zipped away at high velocity and made right angle turns. These things are aerodynamically impossible. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't look like, I mean, I didn't see that in the video. This was from the previous account. Yeah, this is from the account four days before they saw something move extremely fast. What we saw was the Tic Tac moving at 575 miles an hour. Yeah. 
and over several days it returned several times. Voorhees even saw it again with his own eyes and asked watch officers for radar information to know where to aim binoculars. He said that he was able to see it at the horizon, he got to see it at night and during the day, and it definitely was a glowing object. Could I tell you for 100% certainty that it was exactly what we were tracking? No, but I was just looking at the bearing and elevation. It was exactly where it was supposed to be. So basically what he did here is he saw it visually using binoculars, uh -huh. but he didn't just like scan the sky randomly. He waited until it was being tracked on radar and he got the people in the radar room to tell him exactly which direction to look. And he saw a glowing object moving extremely fast. So not only was it seen on radar, it was uh, also seen visually. But yeah, by the human eye. Oh, this is spooky. It is, isn't it? It's a little spooky, but I'm interested. But here's the thing. When Petty Officer Voorhees and Lieutenant Diedrich reported this to their officers, mm -hmm. it got basically no attention. And they started to receive jokes from other pilots about seeing space aliens. No. no. I mean, I get it, but it's like, but there's something here, though. Mm -hmm. Is a tic-tac. It's a really fast little tic-tac. According to her, quote, when I came back and we were being ridiculed and dismissed by the crew, I said to myself, well, then they know what it is. It must be some sort of blue, which is sort of like a Navy term for when it's part of the U.S., like it's on our side, basically, blue and red. Uh, enemies are, and friends. It must be some sort of highly classified compartmentalized system, and we are inadvertently vectored into its test range. So basically, she just came to the conclusion because nobody was taking it seriously that it must be something that the U.S. is working on, and it was just classified, so they couldn't tell us about it. Oh, uh, I gotcha. Because there's no checkbox on the report for UFOs. Mm, that makes sense. What about UAP? Well, there you go, because she mentioned that UAPs clearly pose a safety of flight issue, and they would be a challenge to national security because. I mean, I'm not a person who likes the military that much, but I would consider it a threat to national security if unidentified, extremely fast flying things are near your like your Navy ships and fighter planes. Yeah, especially multiple times. I mean, it sounded like this thing was coming back and visiting a couple times. Yeah, but things did start to build. And over the years, the Pentagon started to bring Diedrich out every so often to talk to people about her experience to the point where at least like once a year, oftentimes more often than that, she would be called into random meetings to explain what happened to her. Uh, reportedly, this started to become annoying <laughs> <laughs> to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine so. So basically, once people became more aware of the go fast incident, people started taking UAP phenomenon a little bit more seriously. Deidre started getting called in more and more as there were more important and high level meetings about it. Mm. They started to implement new protocols to encourage people to report new sightings and military leaders started to uh, look into it. Then we had more incidents in 2014 and early 2015. A Super Hornet attached now to the USS Roosevelt started seeing a fast moving unidentified aircraft that looked, in one pilot's words, like, quote, a cube inside a sphere. So the Tesseract. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. And this time it was 2014, not 2004. So the radar had been upgraded and these warplanes had much more sophisticated tracking technology for strange targets. And so they were actually able to look at it. Hmm. Plus, in 2015, three sets of gun camera videos also captured flying objects and they both got the nickname Gimbal and GoFast. Oh, why do they keep calling it go fast? I mean, I, I understand that it goes fast, but <laughs> I feel like, yeah, they, they that, could have thought of a better name, I guess. Yeah. Maybe they're trying to go with like a G theme. Gimbal. Go fast. Yeah. 
So here's some of the weird things about these incidents. One, they were moving against the wind at 120 knots. In the recording, you hear somebody say, look at that thing, dude. Look at that thing. It's rotating. And several people have come out as witnesses, including Lieutenant Danny O'Coin mm-hmm. and Lieutenant Ryan Graves. Okay. And not only was it spotted visually and spotted on uh, multiple cameras, as we mentioned, it was caught on the weapons cameras. It was caught on the warplane, but they also was caught on radar. So we've got nice. many witnesses all seeing the exact same thing. Cool. Document it. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff you don't see in a lot of UFO incidences where they try to make a lot of elaboration out of like one shaky video that looks like it was obviously an right. after effects. Right, right, right. Anybody who wants to prove their UFO case or want to make any claims about the paranormal, these are the things that make me, the skeptic, take things more seriously is when you have multiple reports on different types of machines all reporting the exact same thing. Yes, I agree. And I'm I'm the same way. I'm like, this is sort of hooking me in a really interesting Mm -hmm. way. Also in this time, they reported seeing other identified objects that moved at different altitudes, including at sea level, which means that it might have dipped in and out of the water and apparently saw it going at speeds approaching five times the speed of sound. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot. Speed racers. here. Furthermore, they saw it stay in the air for up to 12 hours without refueling. Oh, my God. And then, yeah, as I said, the video also seems to show it descending into the water. (gasps) Hold on. Was this near the Bermuda Triangle? I actually don't know. Because you you mentioned it was near it was in Florida. It was in California. Oh, okay. Sorry. We were talking about Florida earlier. Yeah, yeah. Got our Marco Rubios and our Californians mixed up. Never mind then. Uh. It's all good. But you can imagine that seeing something like that in 2014 Mm -hmm. would make people nervous. And Bill Nelson, who was a Florida senator at the time, started to get reports on UAPs. And now he's the administrator of NASA. So obviously uh, has an interest in flying things. Yeah. So this all led to the Pentagon putting forth the UAP task force, which came together in 2017 to try and investigate and explain these occurrences. But the Defense Department denied its existence until 2020 when it was revealed by Congress. It was like, you know, declassified by Congress. Right. Yeah. Then the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, which was headed by Marco Rubio, ordered a report on what the UAP task force had been up to. And we're back. Well, look at that. Well, all right. So does it sound like we have any sort of outside of the obvious aliens? Does it sound like we have sort of any theories about what they could be? The answer is kind of, but not really. Well, tell me all about it. I will. After this. (gasps) Good timing. My clock that makes bird noises is going off now. All right. What are these aliens? Well, um, the answer that the Pentagon and the report has is, oh, (laughs) they just sent like a little shrug emoticon. Basically, yeah, like they were forced to report what it was. And in the report, they just sort of said they don't know, but they don't think it's space aliens. Or at least there isn't evidence that it's space aliens. Okay. All right. Well, what is it then? You got to tell me something. Okay. So this is the thing. They basically are trying to figure out whether it belongs to foreign adversaries, basically. But they don't know exactly what it is. They think it's some sort of physical object. 
All right. I'm that's, with, how, I'm that's, with how good, that's how good they are. Yeah. That's how, how far we are. <laughs> I'm with them there. All right. We agree so far. The report quote says that uh, most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects, given that the majority of UAP were registered across multiple sensors, including radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and visual observation. So... All right. Good stuff. It exists. Yeah. So the first thing that they wanted to look into is to find out whether or not this was something done by another country, specifically Russia or China. They're both geopolitical goals that have militaries that are advancing at a very rapid pace and also have an interest in trying to blunt the Navy's influence around the world. So they're the primary Mm. suspects. And there's a theory in defense circles that at least one foreign Navy has been flying aircraft near American vessels to spy on their reactions. But... There's still a lot of room for doubt. So the main thing that we get to figure out is where did these things launch from? Because... Oh, that's a good question. If they're not American and they're near these aircraft carriers and stuff like that, that is a good question. One of the UAP incidences that happened in 2015, they did manage to catch a Russian military vehicle transiting in the area at the time. Okay. It was the... That feels uh, important. Yeah, the, the, uh, a, a Navy intelligence warship called the Viktor Leonov. The Victor Leonov. Yeah, so it was a spy ship. Okay. Spy ships are meant to collect signals, so they're not supposed to like launch experimental aircraft. That's normally something you would do with submarines. But it is conceivable that a submarine deployed what they think might have been either a balloon with radar reflectors or maybe some sort of high-powered drone. Oh, okay. And the Victor Leonov was just there to collect data, trying to see what the U.S. responses would be, that this was a, trying to test how they would respond to such a thing. Now, could we ask them? Could we ask like Russia and China? Um, I mean, at this point, I feel like for some reason, Russia seems to be not super interested in talking to America about their military secrets at the moment. Interesting. All right. Couldn't tell you why. Yeah. It feels like a whole thing. I'll look into it. But do you think if we ask nicely, we'd just be like, hey, guys, just like, is this aliens? Is it you? Is it aliens or is it you? Like, you know what I mean? Like, just to just clear the air a little bit. Like, just because we all want to figure it out. Like, is it you? And I feel like they could be, if we ask nice, I think they could be persuaded to tell us. Yeah, just send like a fruit basket. Send them an edible arrangement. <laughs> yeah. See who gets to deliver that one. Yeah. Just like trying to deliver an edible arrangement to the Kremlin. <laughs> Mr. Putin, sir, uh, here's your edible arrangement that says, can you tell us about the UFOs, please? We know how much you like it when the cantaloupes and the and are touching the red grapes. So we have a bunch of cantaloupes and red grapes. We know it's your favorite. And that's how you know it's bad intelligence, because we know for a fact that no one likes cantaloupe. Mm, I agree. Cantaloupe and honeydew. Uh, honeydew is the styrofoam packet of any fruit salad. I'm just saying that. There. I don't mind honeydew, but I just I can't get on board with cantaloupe. Nobody can. I don't know. Is no. Both of them. They are the packing peanuts of a fruit salad. I mean... Can't is right there in its name, isn't it? I can't with this cantaloupe. Exactly. So the first thing that they might think it is, is that it was a balloon. So like, you know, balloons don't require fuel. Mm -hmm. They can't move super fast. But if they were to, say, deflate and drop into the water, that might explain how it could move so fast. Yeah, it's just dropping. Just gravity. It's just falling. Yeah. And this is a thing that does happen. Spy balloons being launched by submarines have been around since the late 50s. But there's no program like that. That exists in the U.S. today. But what is going on that is sort of in a similar vein is that the U.S. Navy is in a similar area of technology trying to learn how to outfit submarines with the ability to launch drones, which is terrifying in its own right. Yes, (laughs) very much so. And so it could be that the Americans who are already getting ready to fire 
small drones that have like a sensor suite on board so that it can scan the area that the other countries also might be doing that as well and that this might be their version of that. And the other thing that people have mentioned is that the Tic Tac, the Gimbal, and the Go Fast move way too fast and make way too sharp turns for any balloon. And also, it doesn't seem to have any sort of flight control surface. Like, it doesn't have any wings or a tail, which right. is also very interesting. And also, very much yeah. um, when looking at it infrared, because infrared is basically taking in heat, there's no sign of any exhaust. Oh, yeah. It doesn't feel like, yeah, there's no jet engine fiery interesting okay yeah plus these incidences happened in 2004 and 2015 and keep in mind drone technology was nowhere close to where it is now at that point no and even experimental aircraft that we know of today would not be able to do some of these things yeah 2004 that was before the first iphone we couldn't do anything before then as far as I remember. Yeah, the Tic Tac was accelerating so fast that the pilots could not even keep their eye on it. The radar logs on the USS Princeton seem to back up this claim. They saw a UAP 60 miles away from a jet just seconds after he saw it pull away from him. Ooh. So yeah, these things are super duper fast. So when you take in this extremely reliable data, it just gets more mysterious. And what these things are capable of, like no explanation seems to fully fit. For example, the 2015 gimbal incident, some Navy pilots reported seeing a whole fleet of UAPs, which seemed to Whoa. merge, vanish, and do impossible aerial feats. So oh, no. the more you dig into it, there's even more really weird things going on. Yeah. So there's one other possible explanation Aliens. where we get into a very weird world that I need to learn way more about, Aliens. which is the fun world of electronic warfare. Oh. Oh, like hacking? Similar, like hacking... Sensors. Sensor hacking. Yeah. So apparently Russia and China and the U.S. have been in a sort of electronic warfare. It's basically warfare where the battlefield is the EM spectrum. Okay. So apparently there are specialists in this called crows who try to oh. fight over spaces in the electronic spectrum. And the sensors on aircrafts are getting more sophisticated, but within short order, there's new ways to fool those sensors or spoof them or make people think that there's something there that isn't. And there's some people who are thinking that a lot of these things that are moving extremely fast, impossibly fast or vanishing might be an example of electronic warfare. Okay. Like the video that I watched earlier was just like a little, it was a screensaver they put up there. Or something like that. Yeah. Something like, like that. So like when radar operators see things that are moving impossibly fast or vanishing swarms. Yeah. Electronic warfare is probably the first thing that you might consider because they're sort of like, you know, weird funhouse mirror tricks. Yeah. They're just trying to play with it, trying to mess with it. Yeah. Us. They're usually meant to mess with radar or target tracking devices in order okay. to avoid anti-aircraft weapons, basically. Oh, yeah. Just a way to mess with people. Mm -hmm. That's not very nice. And at least in the case of the gimbal encounter, there's thoughts that this might be what it is. Okay. But uh? even if it was for 2015, that would be extremely advanced technology. Yeah. Plus, you said people saw stuff with their eyeballs, their human eyeballs. Yeah, that's where things get a lot more complicated. Mm -hmm. So there was a Russia spy ship that was in Cuba that was part of a intelligence gathering operation that had the tools for electronic warfare. Okay. But here's the thing that makes not a lot of sense, which is that electronic warfare tends to work better when it's a surprise. You don't tend to mm. test your EW technology during peacetime on your enemies because right. uh, if you can spring it on them when they don't know, that's going to give you more bang for your buck when it comes to these kinds of things. 
because they might find a way to work around it. So basically, yeah. they were testing something that was fairly sensitive that would be much more valuable as a surprise. And there are places in Russia and China where these sorts of technologies could be tested without giving away that they had this technology. Right. You wouldn't just do it. Yeah. Plus, there are places in the United States where the United States is researching this exact same technology, and they would also not be doing it in a place like the middle of the ocean where like other countries can see them. That's fair. That's fair. So the U.S. wouldn't test on themselves either because they don't want it to get this public. Yeah, you don't want to show your hand. You want to just sort of wait until you need to do it. Yes. The idea in electronic warfare is the less shown, the better. Yeah, makes sense. Plus, as you rightfully pointed out, this doesn't Uh explain what pilots saw with their own eyes or uh, things that were captured on video. Yes. Now, I have recanted on this idea. When did Google Glass come out? Were a bunch of nerds wearing glasses that could have been hacked? I remembered when people were trying to make Google Glass a thing and there was an article about like self-described cyborg gets harassed at a McDonald's (laughs) because basically he got kicked out of the McDonald's because they're like, we don't want you just like filming like you're recording us with the camera that's on your Google Glass. Uh uh So can you please leave because you're filming us right now? And he like reported it to the press as like, I'm being discriminated against for being a cyborg. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, man. Google Glass brought out some very weird sides of people. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't the case here. They weren't all the pilots no. weren't wearing Google Glass that could be hacked. No, because if they had Google Glass, they would have mentioned it because how do you tell that somebody had a Google Glass? Don't worry. They would tell you. Yeah, yeah they'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. So in the end, this could be some sort of mix of a physical object and electronic warfare. But again, We don't have all the puzzle pieces and the government doesn't seem sure if that is the answer either. But that is probably the best theory of what this is. Some sort of mix of physical and electronic warfare thing. That makes sense. But even then, a lot of it doesn't make sense given the sort of motivations at play. Yeah. Just to add a little bit of a modern spin. Ooh. Is also, this is just in like the last month or so. Okay. A whole bunch of UAPs have been spotted in the skies over Ukraine. Oh, no. Which might have tipped the hat that this might have been Russia. Yeah. But uh, they've been seeing what they call cosmics, which are these light emitting UAPs, as well as phantoms, which are sort of these dark, even light absorbing UAPs. Oh, wow. So I don't know what the story is on that because there's not a whole lot. And obviously in warfare, it's sort of impossible to know if anything is true until long yeah, after no one's going to come out and be like, this one was us, gang. But apparently there has been a lot of sightings of UAP phenomenon over the skies of Ukraine. And given that this is like the first like big major ground war in like a time where we have drone technology, that mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me. Yeah. OK. All right. Obviously, this report's not going to satisfy the UFOlogist. Like the UFOlogist is like, well, that satisfies for me. It looks like it's electronic warfare. It's definitely not aliens. Right, right. That's not going to convince them. They're not going to like that idea. No. Um. So like I kind of like was like, this is why we don't think it's alien stuff. We have been trying to perform experiments to find what are called techno signatures out in the universe, basically signs of any technological civilization anywhere in our galaxy. Uh-huh. And we've been looking for decades using extremely powerful telescopes. And even though we haven't covered a lot of territory, we still have found nothing. But I will mention that basically what we have done, the comparison that was given to me, was that we're looking for sharks and we have taken one random swimming pool of water out of the ocean 
and not found any sharks. Mm. So we've got a ways to go. We got a ways to go. On top of that, we don't even know sharks exist. And if they do, (laughs) we don't know what they would look like or how they would behave. So you can imagine the search for life has been pretty difficult. Now, does it help every other weekend when I go outside and I just start yelling into the sky? Does that help the aliens find us? Actually, there's a very reason why it does not. And the problem with any communication with life forms is that the sheer volume of the universe makes it difficult. Uh. Specifically, and this is one that we don't talk about a whole lot because we kind of have this idea that if you were to go like 70 light years out, that you would just be able to pick up broadcasts of like, you know, the 1950s or something like that. Yeah. But there's something called the inverse square law, which means that signals get weaker in proportion to the square of the distance they've traveled Uh. over time, which means that if there was like a technological civilization a certain distance away that was emitting radiation or radio waves. It would be so quiet by the time it reached us that we would not really be able to detect it or we would barely be able to detect it above the sort of background noise of the universe. Ah. So this is where things get complicated. Okay. So I should stop yelling because I have gotten complaints, but I was just trying to do it. It was was for the greater good. Your neighbor is trying to drown them out by playing new age music. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or your neighbor is the response. (gasps) I got to check in on that. That's a good point. So what this means is that anything that we would be able to detect from that far off would be very, very weak. Uh But I think that what I need to mention and why I kind of bring this all up is because the universe is humongous. The sheer scale of it is unbelievable. The idea that an intelligent alien species has come to earth Mm -hmm. from these vast distances like has the technology to cross that much space yeah and does so with anything that we would even recognize or could even detect is a little suspicious (laughs) yeah like if some hyper advanced type 3 civilization with like alcubierre engines shows up trust me we're either gonna know or we'd have no clue i have a feeling that this like sort of dancing around the edges thing is not gonna happen yeah I want to believe. But it does show that we are entering a potentially disturbing period of history where military technology, especially when it comes to drones, is getting to the point where we've got things in the experimental phase, drones in the experimental phase that are going to be capable of things that only in our nightmares. And I made a dark prediction to my wife a while back that if you're like really old, you have seen like the world go from one where there wasn't cars to one where like there's cars everywhere and you've seen the big transformation. I feel like when we are old, the biggest thing that's going to be different compared to like our youth to our old age is going to be the skies. The skies are going to go from being empty to just like full of things full of stuff i keep my eyes on some emerging technologies now some of them are kind of fanciful or like you know not gonna go anywhere but like i still keep my eyes on things that i think they're called evols or evtols which are sort of drones that are designed for carrying people like sort of like a taxi Uh, Uh, and as we improve on battery technology with the development of specific type of battery that's kind of coming around the corner that will be very lightweight and carry a lot of electricity in it and with that kind of stuff batteries are sort of like the big bottleneck on a lot of this electric technology that's a huge hurdle yeah and if we can get light but powerful batteries then all of a sudden drones are going to show up in everything everything and as we know things that are 
experimental in militaries around the world, they are usually a sign of, you know, things that will be regular technology in a few years. And so the fact that this is probably human made stuff shows that there's some wacky stuff also happening. And furthermore, because the Americans don't know about it, it also is a sign of our coming changing geopolitical future because you and I both grew up in the post Soviet world order where the US sort of mm. dictates terms as the global hegemon. And we're kind yeah. of moving into an age where I say Russia and China and the US, but I think that overstates Russia's hand in a lot of cases, but between like, you know, the US and China, at least, but several other countries, Russia included, that the US, after basically blowing its entire global reputation and a lot of its money and its will to do things abroad in the war on terror means that our future is going to be one where the US is not the sort of undisputed heavyweight champion of the planet. Ah. You know, there are some things to be relieved about that, but there are also some things to be concerned about, you know, who are these other world powers going to be? And the last time we had multiple world powers post-1945, we came close several times to unleashing weapons of unimaginable apocalyptic strength that could have ended the Earth. So all of those things mean that we are entering... A, a brave new world of some fairly terrifying implications. A scary place. Do you think, because I guess what I'm sort of gathering from everything you just said is the U.S. military needs more money. <laughs> it already has basically all of the money. I think that's what I gathered from you just now is that you we need to put more money into the United States military. Yes, uh, please. If if there's one thing that you can take away from this podcast, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> no, scary stuff. Look to the skies and see either a beautiful haven of nature or see a terrifying platform for the scariest things Uh uh, that the human mind can conceive of. Yeah. If there's one thing to take away from the UAP phenomenon, it's that we are definitely entering a new world of geopolitics, of technology, and we really don't know what the implications of all of it is going to be. So, you know, sleep well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> On that note, hey, Tristan, that was a good episode. I'm glad we practiced that one. Maybe next time when we do it for real, we can end yeah. on like a lighter note. That could be good. We've gotten a ton of complaints. The part where Tristan gives you existential dread. I think that's a new section. Yeah. Yeah. People are just like, you know, love the show, make it lighter. <laughs> but, uh, oh, hold on. Wait a minute. I just, this is embarrassing. I, I think I hit the record button. Oh, I thought I pushed the stop button, which is the red circle. Right. And then, but that's the go button. See, that's why it's confusing. They confuse, they tricked yeah, us uh, that way. I'm not good at computers. <sighs> that's the alien cyber hacking. Yeah, that's electronic warfare. Well, I mean, I guess since we're here, if you want more of us on the internet, you can follow us at probs.aliens on Twitter. Yeah. You could also check out a really great YouTube channel called NerdSync for all of your Scooby-Doo updates <laughs> and nerdy vulnerability stuff. Literally right before this, I did a, an emergency live stream. Emergency Velma stream. Let's emergency go. Emergency Velma stream to talk about the Velma teaser trailer for the HBO show that came out. And we found a bunch of Easter eggs and... 
we just had a good time and I was very sick throughout the whole thing. <laughs> oh man, I don't get to do that because like there's no like emergency history drop, you know? Uh-huh. Well, and then I also, and we ended it by uh, also watching the Mario trailer because I hadn't oh, seen that man, either. That, that looks terrible. Everything about it looked fine until it was like, and then here's Chris Pratt's voice. And it was like, it's just Chris Pratt. <laughs> he barely tried. <laughs> it's true. And in with the new Italian government, Mamma Mia's law is now no longer just an acceptable. It's a duty. Oh, we need to be making fun of Italians much harder now. Oh, fantastic. So the fact that it's not just like, you know, Mario from the games, who's just an over the top Italian stereotype yeah. is now it's disappointing. It's now a problem. It's yeah. now problematic. Well, other than nerd sync, you know, what's not a safe space for Italians is this YouTube channel called Step Back that I uh, I, I like a lot. I mean, I haven't engaged in any Fritophobia on my uh, <laughs> channel, but yeah, I do run Step Back, which is a YouTube channel about history and the world and sort of why history is important for understanding why the world is. Yeah, I feel like that's the best elevator pitch I've been able to come up with at this point. It's a great YouTube channel. Oh, thank you. Especially for people who like the show. And if you do like the show, then you can leave us great reviews. Normally I have a list of names in front of me, but I'm so sick. I didn't do that. But thank you to everyone who wrote reviews and continues to write reviews. We really do appreciate it. It's the best. I love hearing that you guys like this show and not only writing reviews, but telling your friends. It's the best way to get this show out to new ears, new listeners, broadcast it to space. Mm-hmm. I don't know. See if aliens like it. See if yeah. aliens like what we're doing. But why is that important? Because as I always say, podcasts don't have a recommendation algorithm, although apparently that's going to be changing. That will be changing. Because YouTube's podcast is a thing coming. But it doesn't make this less important. Yeah. So word of mouth is really the best way that podcasts grow yes. and develop. And uh, if you can do that, if you can share this with somebody in your life who you think would get a kick out of the stuff that we secrete every week, then uh, don't then say please. that while I'm sick. <laughs> don't say don't use the word secrete while I'm sick. <laughs> The stuff that we uh, congeal. Uh, okay, all right. Well, <laughs> every 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 little bit, our audio congealment. Uh huh. Then you're helping us. You're entertaining people in your life, and it's all really good. And the best place to send them is probsnotaliens.com. It's got links to every place you can find this show. Apple Podcasts. It's got Spotify. It's got YouTube. We're over there. Go subscribe. The more pe- you know, what we need to start a campaign. We got to get people subscribing and watching over there so we can mon- so we can monetize it. We can turn AdSense. We're getting on. close. Yeah, we've got the hours. We just need about 400 more subscribers. Oh my gosh. 400 more subscribers. Go over there. Yeah. Go subscribe. Let us turn ads on so we can make passive income on this show. Yeah. Scott needs medicines. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Scott's just going to keep getting sicker until we can get the passive income. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying inside and outside. But that is all for now, friends. Until next time, the truth is out there. Hmm? Probably. Oh. Doing a little bit of a Russian, cause cause of the Russia. <laughs> <laughs>